and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Austin Reed, it is fantastic to have you as my guest for She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's uh, I'm very excited to be here and finally actually um, meet virtually face-to-face, if you like, without being Well, that that's close. right because we have known each other for nearly 18 months or something. You've been doing my PR course, but we I just realised before we came on air that I've never seen you before. So this is awesome. <laughs> All right. So but everybody else will just have to listen to this because they can't see us. So let's start off with what do you do? And I know that you have the Mantire effect, which is awesome, but Tell us what it is and, and, and what you're actually doing. Okay, so what I do is equine-assisted learning, which means you use horses in order to teach something. And uh, I love it because it covers all three learning styles, so the kinesthetic, um, audible, and visual. Yep. Uh, so it's very interactive. It's totally non-judgmental. So unlike role-playing, where you've got opinions and, um, you know, people can um, create opinions and then do the role play, whereas who you're role playing against is a live horse and they can't lie. They simply are a response mechanism. So you will um, approach them, you'll try and communicate with them and they'll either get it or not or and they will kind of also pick up on your energy levels, whether you're angry, whether you're anxious, uh, whether you're confused and they, they will just have their instinctual responses. So it's a really rapid way of learning because you're not going to lose your house if you make a mistake because they're also very forgiving and you can yeah. teach multiple skills at the same time. So that's that's the other thing. So it's it's really fast. It's really fun. Um, it stretches people outside their comfort zone. So, but it, because there isn't anything at risk, it's the, the greatest playing field to test out new skills and new new behaviors and new ways of thinking. So, and what we do is I work with um, leaders. I work with teams yep. um, in businesses yep. or corporations. And since COVID, of course, all my group work has um, <laughs> went out the window. So I also teach life skills to um, to teenagers, to and yeah. I, um, many other facilitators work with youth at risk. I work yeah. with um, either learning disabilities, so high functioning autism, yeah, or um, other learning disabilities in the arena. And so we just kind of slow down the sessions and. Make it simple and and relate everything back to real life. So even though the so horses are responding, you, you're responding oh, to a horse. So go ahead. Yeah. Yep. No, sorry. Ask the question. <laughs> We've got a bit of a delay, but <laughs> what I was going to say is, yep. can you take me through a session? Because I still haven't quite grasped it, and yep. I've known you for a while, and I still don't quite. So <laughs> let's say I am the CEO of a medium-sized business. I've got like five or six staff, and I want to do something yep. to help them with leadership. How, how to tell me from the beginning to the end, how it kind of works. Okay. So, um, you, you come to our property or, I mean, I have yep. another, other, a few other options, but come to our place in King Lake. We'll go into our yep. training room. I'll just, uh, which has got, you know, flushing toilets and wood heater Woo-hoo. in the winter time. And it's all very comfortable. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and then I'll just discuss and explain, um, how to simply communicate with the horses, how they work. So humans are very, very complicated. Horses are much simpler. Um, and right. I show them how to read the horse's response. So that's by looking at their body language. The horse responds by their body language or their movements. So we okay. have a crash course in horse language, and then I will give them a. Um, you sound like Doctor Doom. I'll be working on a specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty much that. Uh, and how to talk to the you know, animals. The good horse trainers. <laughs> Yeah, the good horse trainers and the horse whisperers all communicate very effectively with their animals um, and with their horses. So that's where you get the best partnership because ultimately horses, um, horses in a herd are like team members within a team of humans and they have their own hierarchy, they have their own systems. 
So if we can, and their system, it, they have the perfect leadership model in the world, I believe, um, and the, the perfect teamwork. Because even though even though you can challenge the leader, even though you can kind of change your position in the herd, there are set responsibilities that you have. And so you have your own responsibilities, plus you have the team's responsibilities okay. and the leader's responsibilities. And they're very clearly defined. So, you know, normally when I'm doing the corporates, I go into that. So the, the leader of the herd, we've got the, the stallion and uh, contrary yeah. to what many men men believe, the stallion is there as the security guard. He's kind of like the bodyguard of the herd, and um, right. and for, for for breeding. So there's safety in numbers. They're still a very primal um, herd animal. And the other key point for using horses and not dogs or something else is horses and the way they develop their system is based simply on they are pr- they are a prey animal. So they can be consumed by saber-toothed tigers. They can be attacked by cougars. They can be attacked by humans. Um, so their okay. responses and their sensitivity to um, everything around them is um, in, in order to keep them safe and to keep the herd safe. So we kind of tap right. into that type of psychology and compare it to the herd of the human. And so we've got the yeah. um, the bodyguard, which is a stallion. Usually, the leader of the herd is is the lead mare. And when I say that, lots oh, of women well, particularly that. like that <laughs> because yes. because we are. Um, so the lead mare knows where the good feeding grounds are, knows where water is when it's when it's dry, uh, knows the lay of the land, um, and she's right. she's also there for breeding. So all the mm. other mares in the herd. Uh, actually, they're they're the the primary school teachers. They they have the, the the foals, but then they educate those foals in in kind of safety and and how to be respectful and and find their place within the herd. And you then you've got the oh, foals, okay. and uh, which are either colts or fillies. Once the colts um, grow up and they're of breeding age, they will normally get kicked out of the herd, um, usually by the stallion, wow, and they will Don't form like their the own. No, hell no. Um, so they will normally become their own bachelor herd. Okay, so they okay. very similar to elephants. Elephants do the same. They kick out the the, the breeding males, and the males they yeah. will go off in their own herd because they still need others to be safe themselves. Because the most scariest thing for a horse is to be by itself. That is because right. then they have to be aware of everything at all times and can't really relax. So they, they kind of on that hyper awareness. You get into a group and then they share the load and that's kind of what I always think is the, the beautiful thing about what we can take in our human team because we don't want to be doing the same thing. You know, we don't need to. We have all of this work to do. Why don't we set roles? Why don't we, um, okay, so what are you great at? So they normally kind of work on what strengths do you have? And then right. we take, we talk about that and then take the team. So we've, we've done all that horse psychology. We've taught them how to speak yeah. um, horse language. I've explained and then I go in, we go into the arena and I will do a short safety demo about how it's safe to walk a, behind a horse um, where the blind spots are on a horse. So the horse has got a blind spot directly in the centre because being mm-hmm. a prey animal, its ears are on the eyes, eyes on are the on the side of its head so it can see nearly 360 degrees and directly straight behind oh. its tail is also another blind spot. So I show them right. how to greet a horse. So we have the shake hands equivalent and that is kind of put your hand out in front with your fingers flat and your thumb out the way so they can sniff them. We don't force ourselves onto the horses. So this is like in relationships. You don't kind of yeah, go up to someone really who you like. Oh, it, can be, it can be applied in so many areas of our lives it's not funny. I'd love to do kind of couples and relationship things. It would be really good fun. So if you, if you, before you come up to a horse, you have to do it politely. You don't want to force yourself on the horse. So you go up to a certain distance, offer the back of your hand and allow them to come and sniff you. And we have to always remember that they use all of their senses. So they sniff you. Okay, do you smell dangerous? Do you got blood on your hand or whatever? Um, Or do you have carrots in your hand? They might be interested. And then we go to the next level (laughs) of developing that relationship and then we, we brush them. 
So, you know, when we first meet an individual, we shake hands and say, hi, my name is Karen, your name is Jules, how are you, find out a little bit about you. And then we'll probably go for coffee to have or, or you know, to have an, a longer conversation and find yeah. out more things about each other. Well, the coffee is the equivalent to brushing the horses. So okay. they're like, okay, this human is softer, this human is brushing a little bit harder. And then you often find out what the horse likes at this point in time because some horses like being brushed really, really hard and then they'll start kind of leaning in, going harder, 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 and others will just be more sensitive and just sit, stand there and go, this is really nice. So you've, you've actually proved to your horse by that stage that you're not going to attack them. So, and they right. want a herd, they, they want those numbers. The more hu- humans and horses that are horse-like means that they're safer. That's their number one driver in life, okay? So, and humans yeah. have that as their basic, you know, yes. if you look at the hierarchy of needs. Basic instinct is to be safe and have food and water and shelter, okay? And that's, that's basically right. where the horse lives. And then after that, it can kind of have fun and do all the other stuff. So then we're developing a relationship with our horse. And then I then they have an obstacle course to go through. And they might have to do oh, a couple I of things <laughs> in that obstacle course. So oh, it's really good. Okay. So the team will have to decide. They'll have to interpret the obstacle because they have um, what we call station cards and it will give them a couple of challenges. And so they have to plan as a team. So how are we going to do this? We've got one lead rope. Who's going to lead the horse? How are we going to get through these tight things? Is it actually possible? So some of the high-level um, stuff, we actually, the leaders have to decide or the team has to decide if the course is actually doable for horses and human. So we'll, we, we will um, group one horse with either one, two, three, or sometimes four humans as their, the herd. That is their team. And they, right. we rotate the leadership amongst the humans. <laughs> And um, so, so it's it's really good. So they have to work out. Okay, it's really is amazing. It doable? Um, uh, yeah, oh, it's so stimulating, it's, uh, and it's really you know, interesting. The, it is the way you've described it. Really makes enormous sense that you kind of go, "Yep, absolutely." So my next question to you is, why did you set it up? What what was your purpose? What was the reason why you set it up in the first place? Well, I've always had a passion for horses ever since I was three years old, but I, um, having working class parents, it was usual, get a real job. And yeah. I loved the arts growing up. I loved <laughs> sciences and I loved um, sports. And then going through school, I was quite academic and um, wanted to do actually um, sports therapy after I, I um, left school. But I got I had a number of um, med, uh, medical issues in year 12, so I didn't get the marks I wanted. So I went into medical research, into science, and loved it because it was yeah, really minute, stimulating. It was very creative. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm absolutely loving this story, but I want the whole story in a tick. I'm just wondering, was there something that happened particularly that made you want to set up the Mantire effect? Was there yes. like a light bulb I, moment? Was there uh, something happened? Yeah, tell me. So uh, towards the end of my science career, I wanted to do something different because science kept me stuck to the city. And by that stage, right. I'd actually bought, we'd bought our first horses like yay didn't have to go and go to the riding school or go kind of somewhere else and and use their horses so we had our own horses and in order to keep them you had to be outside of Melbourne and so it's like "Uh." and I was traveling we bought our property in King Lake I was traveling in but I thought what can I do after leaving science and I thought one thing I noticed was there is gaps in communication skills so between scientists who are highly uh, intellectual and them releasing or, or doing the PR for their um, results or world breakthroughs. Research. They really struggled with the <laughs> really struggled with communicating the 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 meaning of what they had just done to get you know, and that re- relied right. on funding. So when I was in science, because I was on stage, I was a professional entertainer at the same time. I could oh actually God, communicate really well. <laughs> Um, I guess was there a particular 
was there a particular person yes. or a particular situation? Sorry, I, I, you're probably trying to tell it and I keep interrupting. Go on then, <laughs> tell me. What, what what was the sort of moment, I guess, so, what I'm looking for is the moment that why you set it up in the first place and how the idea even came to you because it's unusual. Well, if you had asked me as my growing up, what are my two passions, I would have said human development, it, you know, from what I kind of developed through science and horses. And everyone always said, we'll, we'll stick to, you know, the, the stuff and keep horses as a hobby. And I thought, oh, it'd be really nice to be able to work with horses and work them Bring in some way. Yeah. Didn't happen. But after, after the Black Saturday bushfires in 2009, right. our whole property was wiped out. We lost most of our oh. herd, our horse herd, and had two horses left. And one, my horse was absolutely off his tree. He was, you know, just, he thought he was going to die every second. So he was jumpy and spooky and dangerous and people go, oh, you're going to have to put him down. But he'd gone through so much and he'd, he'd um, recovered from burns and all of this. And then we had a program called Horses for Hope, which was equine assisted therapy, which came to our region. And ah. I thought, oh, I'll take my, I'll take Duke to get fixed at this program. So, of course, nothing was wrong with me. It wasn't anything to do with me that was causing <laughs> no, him to kind of jump off the rail. Losing no, everything. I was, I was perfectly fine. Um, and that's one oh, of the things I kind of, one of the areas that I work in now is actually trauma recovery and PTSD. So I go along, take my horse along to Horses for Hope to get fixed and then, then pretty quickly realise it was, my level of heightened awareness and the PTSD and the adrenaline and the cortisol coursing through my body, which I did was not even aware of, which was setting him off. So he was my right. barometer of how emotional I was. And I thought, oh, and because right. the time was we were in the arena, he was running around, at, you know, off his tree again. And then <laughs> Colin said to me, breathe, Karen, breathe, just relax and breathe. And I had my teeth clenched and I was like, I am breathing and I am relaxed. And then it just it goes, <laughs> look at your jaw, feel your jaw. And I went, oh. <laughs> so wow. that was a big, oh, it was, it was really me feeding his fear. And so once I, then I had to learn to calm that down. And that's the emotional intelligence piece that we bring into the training. So I had to learn to calm down, and as soon as I did that, he walked straight up to me and said, "Oh, thank God you changed." Um, oh, and then I thought, "Oh, this is this is so powerful." So I went through the whole program with him, and I was speaking to Colin at the time, going, "This is all about emotional intelligence. This is all about clear communication and not being wishy-washy and all of those things that I actually really loved. I love soft skills." You know, how to yeah. people skills, they were called many years ago. Yeah. They went from people skills to soft skills. And I now I think they're, they're going to become essential really, skills. Yeah, they should be because it, it makes it sound really weak to call them soft skills and they're not. They're like the absolute backbone of communication. And if you look at um, the World Forum of, of predicted jobs in, the, in, in 20 years or even five years, they always say that soft skills or people skills are going to be absolutely quintessential, that and critical thinking. And we learn all of that from horses as well. So Amazing. I was talking to Colin for a long time. I said, can we take this out to corporates? And he said, oh, we have a kind of a corporate thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, but after two years I gave up because he was controlled by not-for-profit and it wasn't kind of going down the track I wanted. So I then spent the next two years and they're looking at options, and I found the one that I'm doing because it's really practical, it's really reproducible, it's um, it's not only we. I don't call myself a therapist because I don't have those qualifications, but we see the therapeutic um, results of developing emotional intelligence in our clients that go through the program. So imagine a leader that goes from being you know, scared all the time, worried all the time, insecure, and the impact that would have on the team that they're leading, or one that oh, can't communicate yes. clearly, or one that changes their mind because they, they're not good decision makers, or they can't, they're not really critical thinkers. You take that person and you just simply get them to manage their emotions and to um, develop their other skills. 
and your entire kind of organization would change. So the leader becomes more oh, confident, I love it. better at deciding, better at deciding, you know, making decisions, better at working. Instead of being scared they're going to be caught out, you know, making a mistake or and blaming it on some of their team, they actually take full responsibility and they hand over responsibility to their team. And one of the things I find in the sessions I do with organizations is a lot of leaders micromanage. And then yeah. it comes out we in the arena that, that yeah. the team hate it. They absolutely hate it, you know, especially. And when you think the, the other beautiful thing about what happens in the arena is that everyone is on a level playing field. No one that goes into our arena has ever been faced with the problem that I'm going to put to them. So right. no one has prior experience. The difference that we do notice is um, young leaders are taught to follow the rules, da-da-da, don't necessarily think for themselves, blah, 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 blah. And then one of our programs that I particularly like gets you to think outside of the box and examine the rules and maybe interpret them differently. And so as leaders get more and more skilled in leadership, they're able to kind of think on a bigger, wider, wider way. So I, I see yeah. the, the difference in leadership in the, depending on who and, comes here and how well-developed the teams are. And I love that analogy of the bloke who is the stallion actually being the security. And, and I mean, all of a sudden it puts a very different perspective on a guy who thinks he's leading a team and he's, you know, king shit and he can tell everyone what to do for want of a better way of putting it to turn around and go actually yep. it's your responsibility to look after all of these and to keep them all safe. it's just such a beautiful way of of not telling them but letting them understand I guess so very very clever all right so now you let's go back to when Karen was a girl you, you alluded to um science so take me through that that journey of how just in a little bit more detail and any stories along the way of how you've ended up where you are today. Okay. So uh, leaving high school, I went into medical yep. research, medical science, because I liked blood. Why? If I couldn't do sports therapy, <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of thinking, it's, it's interesting. It does. It's pretty amazing. You've got white blood cells and yep. red blood cells. Um, really loved biology at school. So um, and I hadn't even heard of marine biology because I think I would have gone down that road. Who wouldn't want to be scuba, scuba diving for a profession? Of bio, okay, whatever. So that <laughs> didn't yeah. even know about those <laughs> things. Um, so I went into medical science and absolutely loved it. It taught you to be a creative thinker. In science, you're solving unknown problems. So you've got a disease. I worked in immunology yeah. and you've got a disease and you've got to work out what the cause is, if it's genetic, and if it is, what are the genes? What do they do? How can you change that? How can you, you think? So I went through um, science with the same love of learning um, as I still yeah. have. And scientists are really supportive. I managed to get, uh, um, I managed to be asked to go overseas for 12 months and work in Germany. And um, wow. that was a great experience. And I was the youngest and the least qualified to do that um, in my profession. Normally only PhDs or doctors went over and I was just a lowly technician. Um, I would just seem to fall into the right, I was just at the right place and always eager to learn the next technology, the next innovation. Um, and that has never changed. And that also helped me in EAL because that was the new and developing way of training. Um, and while right. I was over in Germany, here's one of my quirky quirky facts. <laughs> I actually on, earned me. more money. I earned more money um, busking on a Saturday afternoon than I did working all five days in the lab. Was like, oh my god! But hang um, on, so what did you do? What, what do you what do you do busking? Oh, just singing with my guitar um, and and busking and oh, in the so street. Oh, so you're a musician so, as well. Um, Oh, I look. I don't really profess to be a musician. I can play guitar badly and I can play keyboards badly, but I sing. So singing is is my big forte. So, oh, um, yeah. Wow, that's a great quick yeah, fact. Yeah. So because okay, yeah, go on. Yep. So I'm I'm back in Melbourne, going to and I um done really well with learning new technologies, and I was headhunted to set up a biotech company over in WA. So. I set that up and became chief operations officer over there. 
um, really loved what I was doing. But then when we came back to, uh, back to Melbourne and I met Bernie who absolutely loved horses too. Woohoo. Um, (laughs) we got the horses and I thought, (laughs) I thought, oh, what can I do? I love science, but I really want to move away from the city. So I was looking for different options and I, then I thought, mm, okay, maybe I can teach presentation skills and public speaking because I was good at that because of the stage experience. I knew how to battle through stage fright and, and do all of that. Plus in my life right. in science, I had developed, I become a very good trainer. So I could train, um, direct institute directors. Right. And I also setting up the biotech company, I had to set up all of the biosecurity um, systems and, um, programs and the induction programs. And so I was writing, so I can write uh, standard operating procedures in my sleep if I want to. It's not not really my passion, but I'm good at it. (laughs) Amazing. Can I just say what a weird career for you to have gone into when we've just had a pandemic or we're in the middle of one, has that given you a different perspective on it? Because this is exactly what you trained to do, I guess. Yeah, it was interesting. I offered my services. I'm actually on our our council pandemic recovery um, group. So I okay. volunteered for that. And someone said, oh, haven't you got a background in science? You might like to do this. And I was like, okay. And I volunteered to um, be a sounding board at my mother's aged care facility. And that was interesting because that CEO was a business manager and she felt th- very threatened by that offer. So this is this is kind of about the, the difference in leaders. Um, but they've since had a new CEO and she's really interested to talk to me and have me kind of go over. So um, Yeah, great. So I've, I have done that and I have offered to do things and a number of times I've actually um, said when people have been complaining about wearing masks, I'm going, no, 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 you're, you're missing the whole idea of masks. This is what they're there for and not to protect you. They're there for to protect other people around you and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So. Um, I would have liked to, and I was like, so I offered, it was taken up whether people wanted to take that up or not. And I, yeah, I saw some really good commentators, um, the, just I'm terrible on names, uh, the woman who also works for I'm the not- World Health Organization. Yeah. And um, Dr. Swan, he was a very good commentator on, yes, he was. you know, explaining things. He was very, very good. And I can't remember the name of the other lady. Um, yeah, and that's all right. The, I just, I the, just thought the, with the amount it, of rubbish. It, yeah, the amount of rubbish and that I heard, and I was like, overseas. "That's so wrong." And yeah. you watch what's happening overseas, yeah, and, thought, oh. and, and the sort of herd mentality thing, and just go, "Yeah, that's not really yeah. going to work until the whole population's had it, pretty much." So, yeah. Anyway, we di- and, digress. And the whole so idea, you, yeah. you did all the. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go on. You did all the immunology, Im- immune immunology yep. stuff, and the biology stuff. What What was the next thing after you came back from Germany? Um. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I set up the biotech company after coming back from Germany, and then oh, yeah. I was yep. there for five years, and I set all that up. And uh, then I had I was starting to have disagreements with the director because he had no people skills, and <laughs> I was constantly um, putting out fires that he had started. So it was just, it was, it was a really hard job. I very glad I did a great job of it. Um, but my, it was time to move on and, and, and get back to where my mum was. My mum was elderly and my dad had Alzheimer's by that stage. So being in Western Australia and they were in Melbourne, um, was very difficult. So we ended up coming back. Yeah. Yeah. we, We brought our horses back and, then the week, so in 2000, and so I'd been planning to leave science from about 2005. I finally yeah. left it in January 30, 2009 to start no. a new no. career. Yep. Yes. A week after I resigned from fires, science. Yes. Yes. Yep. And I had, um, I had a um, singing and performance school going on the property before that. So when we came back from WA, I had a senior performance school happening. So I thought, oh, that's, that's some kind of income, consistent income that I can use, but I'll go into presentation skills, especially for scientists, and then kind of see how that goes. So a week after oh, um, I left yep. my, 
my 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 big career, um, yeah, our property literally got wiped out in Black Saturday. So yeah, and oh, then, Karen, then so, they started. So what did you do? I mean, were you insured? Um, were you able to rebuild the house, or did you have to buy another house? I mean, what do you do in that circumstance? Um, I well, like I said, I didn't realize I had PTSD as, and I didn't realize it was as yeah. bad as what it was. Um, plus, it was the worst disaster at that time that Australia had ever had, and government departments yes. just set up multiple levels of bureaucracy and. Um, you know, the, the problems I see that we had has now repeated itself, hence why I went on the project earlier this year um, yeah. with the people that got hit over Christmas and New Year's along the, the our eastern border. So, um, yeah, all of those things happened. Um, you know, any job went out of the, the window literally till uh, we were insured is the answer to your question. Okay, um, good. But this is, this really is what happens. doesn't really help you with all the in, emotional stuff. No, and not only that, yes, we were insured and we were insured what I thought was a reasonable amount, but I'll give you an example. Farm fencing, I had quoted um, to do some replacement of our our farm fencing about a month before the fires and it was quoted at $8 a a metre and literally a week after the fires, it was $24 a metre. That's so there so were a lot of opportunistic, yeah. Yeah, that's really disgusting because it should have gone down to $4 to help you all get your fences back up again. But no, just that, yep. oh, I can't bear it when that sort of thing happens. So, so, and you were in a whole community where everyone was devastated. I mean, everyone. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, let's just say it would have been so yeah, traumatic. Okay. I'm not surprised you had severe PTSD. Yes, and it wasn't just, yeah, like you said, it's not just when I talk to people I, and I do speak, uh, I do offer to speak um, to people about disaster and what happens after, especially in a large disaster that affects whole communities. It's very different mm. than one house in your street burning down because of an electrical fault. It's very, very different. Yes, yes it's horrible and they lose everything that they've got. Um, but they have supporters close by. If they're good friends with their neighbours, they might kind of go in there or um, they their supporters are all around the, the area and those supporters haven't been impacted by the same yeah. trauma. So, um, yeah, so whereas every all our neighbours were impacted, we started off with 17 houses in our street we ended up with six still standing. And we, oh. a number of us were, there was three families in the one house Um it would where we we went to, and then I was house hopping um, around my friends in in houses around the area for the next four months until we could because there was no rental properties. You can't rent in yeah. the area because they're all being wiped out. So you have to Gosh. you're literally dislocated several several suburbs away. We moved thirty kilometers away to rent a house. So and then you have to drive up and down and try and get quotes. And then the looting that happens, and I'm sure it happened this year as well, um, if you're not on your property, people come through and see if they can steal stuff or salvage stuff or take souvenirs. Um, it was, oh yeah, it was, you cannot um, comprehend. Um, yeah, you see the best and the worst. In, in saying that, some of the, the best things we had was yes. this car appeared in our driveway and two young boys, probably the age of 14 and two Two, two of their fathers came out and they said, are you the owners of the property? And we said, yes. And they said, you don't know us. But um, a few years ago when Newcastle um, had the earthquake, we got an outpouring of support from all around Australia. And we've just, our boys were at school, they heard about this disaster and they wanted to do something. So they raised money and bought a whole heap of Bunnings vouchers and the fathers drove them down to personally hand deliver $50 Bunnings vouchers to people who had no properties left. Complete strangers. It was just amazing. And my husband, um, we, I was on a, a, did some training programs uh, the, week of the, the weekend of the fires and then afterwards yeah. and people I met there there was a couple there that um, had a beef beef cattle property and they also bred um, Australian stock horses. 
the next time I saw them, they said, look, you don't know us. Well, we were going to come down to Victoria and help fix fencing or help build, you know, replace fencing, but we would like to give you a, one of our horses to replace one's, one that you lost. Oh. And it was just like, whoa. And I said, but we don't have any fences. <laughs> um, they said, it's all right, there's no rush. And um, so they, there was proviso. We had to go to their place, spend two weeks so that they would match us with the perfect horse. And it and was just like the best away from ever the trauma. thing to, to boost us on the way of recovery. So we had those things. And then I also had two really bad experiences with builders. So we had one, one court case with a builder and that was with our first shed. And then we should have had a second court case with our second builder. And that's why to this day we're still not completely recovered. So the second builder literally wiped us out of all of our, our rest of our insurance money. So, that's and the, the first court case was, the first court case was so traumatic that we couldn't kind of go through another one. So we just said, no, you know what, we're just going to walk away. So, um, and that's happening still with the fires from this year as well. Yeah, God, but the good really thing was, the, if that had happened. Bit. Go on. Sorry, Angela keeps yeah, catching you, up with us. What were you saying? Um, you're absolutely right. You see the best and the worst in humanity, you know, and it's, um, it's, it's, and that doesn't help the trauma because you don't know who to trust and you want to trust someone because you feel quite isolated and, and all these other things. You just, and um, when I blamed myself for the bad builders, I, sh I saw the red flags, but I so wanted them to just to complete the job and have something that I kind of let it slip and all of those things. And, you know, and here you I was with three world first in science. So. <laughs> what, what kind of people would even do that to people? I mean, it's just so disgusting. I can't believe it. But let's move on past the bushfires then to how, how did the business evolve after that? And then I've got another couple of questions for you after that. Yeah, so I took my horse to get fixed um, at Horses yeah. for Hope and then that was that was the turning point. That was the pivotal point when I thought, oh, my God, this is so amazing. Um, it can be applied to so many areas. And I had wanted to do this presentation and, and communication skills training in my business. That was going to be my business. It was called Get On Stage. It was get up and speak and get on get on stage to um, actually be oh, able right. to, to speak with confidence publicly and do TED Talks and all of those other things because I had been on some big stages as a performer. I'd been on the My Music right. Hall. I'd been on the, in the Melbourne Concert Hall, you know, most all of right. the Hang on big a stages. And just, let's just do a little sidetrack then. Because if you were doing that kind of thing, what kind of a singer are you? Are you someone I should have heard of? I mean, are you? Uh, have, have you been singing in choirs? Have you been on stage on your? Because it sounds actually like there's a whole lot there that you haven't told me about. <laughs> uh, yes, I should kind of. I have to send you put some photos up of me um, performing on stage. So I've done um, musical theatre. I've done. Okay. Uh, uh, I've done class. Classical, but not on big stages. So I was tr originally trained in classical singing, and also been jazz okay. trained. So jazz is my favourite genre, um, and everything in between. Oh. So when I was busking, I would just do you know the Billy Joel, the the usual busking songs that you hear. Um, right. And yeah, and then I got into bands quite young. So I was singing professionally from. Well, I started singing as a wedding singer when I was fifteen. And wow. went on to sing in pubs. So um, no kind of big now? record deal. Occasionally, yes, yes, I still sing occasionally. Um, Amazing! Yeah. It's it's more I love part it. time uh, now, because, and I still enjoy doing it. Well, I did singing lessons all the way through school. That was my thing, and I used to do Gilbert and Sullivan operettas, if you could even believe it. But um, I think smoking has completely ruined my voice. But it's amazing. Sorry, you were just—I was—I was loving all the stuff about teaching skills, and I thought, hang on a minute, there's something you haven't told me. So you've obviously had a lot of experience at doing that on the side. You know, science and singing—quite diverse um, interests. Well, people say that they go, uh, and that was one of my quirky things. So by day, 
I was doing yeah. microsurgery, you know, in, in blood and guts <laughs> and all of this other stuff and yeah. and working with, you know, these um, Nobel laureates, etc. And at night time I was in leathers on a stage seeing um, anything from – Oh, what are the songs? Um, Gloria Gaynor and I Will Survive to um, I Love Rock and Roll and all of those things. So, yeah, wow. in bands, we I was in cover bands for um, – I was singing for 37 years professionally, solidly, and I was um, working in science for 25 years. So actually long – yeah, so I was singing professionally wow, for longer Karen, than I was in science. Ooh. That is just such a great combination of skills. I love it, love it, love it. Okay, now because this is a podcast for women and we're trying to inspire yep. other women by just telling our stories, um, are there any women in particular that have helped you in your career? And if so, are you up for telling me how and why they helped you and maybe who, what their name is? Yeah, so when I kind of started in business, um, I, you know, but there's so many things to do when you started a business. When you start a business, you've got to yes. get a website, you've got a <laughs> business name, you register. I knew all the kind of the boring stuff. I knew you had to register your business name um, and, and do all domain. of those boring admin things. Get your insurance, get a name, get your website, um, all of this other stuff. And so I had to learn all these things and I did that. But there's so many things you're kind of like in this cement mixer of what do I do first and there's only one person and how do I get all of this done because I was used to working with a big team of people in science and there was a whole IT department yeah. and um, they, I just said this is what I want. I actually had designed two databases when I was in science for my particular right. area of innovation and yet I couldn't put a website together. It's like, okay, so it's usually <laughs> done for me. How do I do this? So um, the person that really helped me out because she had a similar experience was Linda McMahon. She's a personal friend of mine who's also a horse person um, and was she, she was the horse wrangler for our wedding party. So we all our wedding party rode in on wow. horses and her and her partner uh, were the horse wranglers. She's got a business called Essential Systems Solutions and so doing um, standard operating procedures and getting businesses to run more efficiently. She was an enormous support because I'd just kind of say, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, well, I've been through that and I would, I recommend do this and this. And she saved me so much uh-huh. time setting up. She was basically a mentor for saying, you know, be careful about this in your website and you only need this and this. Don't believe everything they say, blah, blah, blah. She oh, was love amazing. I don't think. Yeah, I, I don't, and she still is, yeah. you know, a really good friend. In fact, we um, we are using one of her Brumbies. Some of one of her her, her daughter's um, little pony is now in my EAL program. So we're very great friends. She oh. was really, really instrumental. The other person. Well, I that, love hearing um, really women helping other women. Me. Yep. Uh, Linda is amazing. I thoroughly recommend her. She's up in the Albury Wodonga area, um, okay. but she works all over the place. And um, the other person that inspired me was Amanda Gore. Now I don't know if you've heard of her. She's quite a famous um, speaker, public speaker, and she was originally in um, uh, medicine as well. So she started as a, smart a trainer. I think she's a Yes, she started yes. a smart company, um, which is just the best magazine, and then built a whole media empire around it. I think. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, so she she was very inspiring, and I got to meet her after the fires because she was um, uh, employed to uh, run a couple of re- retreats that I did, women's retreats. So the other thing that helped right. in my business was um, Firefoxes are a, a group. Um, developed by women for women after the fires and we still run today. I'm actually one of their speakers oh. to go around um, in the recovery pro- progress process. They, um, they did a couple right. of retreats because they realised that families were all disjointed after the fires because everyone responds differently and women were kind of like the glue trying to hold everything together. So I went on these retreats and they – you know, not only could you relax for the first time and didn't have to worry about everyone else, it was just you get pampered and 
these things. They also taught you about finance and they also taught you about kind of thinking creatively again, which I'd kind of stopped doing after the fires because of the PTSD. And it was there that I said, I would really like to um, do a business using horses for, um, for teaching life skills and I'd be too scared to say it. So I was working on my communication and public speaking business, but there was a piece missing. And then when I kind of thought, ah, oh, the horses that I did in, in the equine-assisted therapy, that is the missing piece. Let's bring that in. It yeah. fast-tracks the learning process. It fast-tracks the fun. It fast-tracks the honesty and yes. you know, it's just like, why and didn't I think of this ex- before? And that's right. Now you've explained and I it all to it. Oh, yeah. Go on. <laughs> I verbalize it for the first time, you know, because when you're starting an idea, especially a, something that's not the normal, because I was going to go into traditional traditional training, I thought, ah, is are people really going to want it? And I verbalized, I said, oh, I've got this idea. I just want you to, you know, want your feedback. And I explained the whole thing and the group I was with going, that's fantastic. So it was like that yeah, action. So the Firefoxes group and on- ongoing support was really, really tantamount to my progressing into my business because once I verbalized it and I had to write it down, I had to explain it to them who were very supportive. And I know that they knew that I'd been through, but we'd all been through the same trauma. And when they said, yeah, yeah. I'd do that and I did that, I'm going, oh, oh, this could be a possibility. And yeah, and then I, yeah, yeah so <clears throat> that really inspired me. So they, well, they made a big difference. That were the pivotal point. Well, they sound amazing and I love that even the name Firefox is just sounds brilliant. Now we're <laughs> going to run out of time, so I'm going to jump a couple of questions. Yep. Um, the main yep. one I would like, and I'm going to assume we've actually talked quite a lot about your pivotal moments, I think, um, as part of yep. hearing your story. So <clears throat> when you love horses, you live in the country and your business is horses, is there any difference between work and play or does it all kind of merge into the same thing a bit? It kind of merges into the same thing. Yeah. I must admit when I was in science, I love that. As One of my big things is for work-life balance, love what you do and 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 then it's not, it's not a drudgery. It's you not still work. have to do the <laughs> yeah. admin side. It's not work. Uh, and when I see my clients kind of get the aha moments and go, oh, I never thought about that or that's a great idea and, oh, maybe I should, you know, do this differently, that's when I get, you know, the that is kind of what makes, gives you the energy, feeds your soul if you like, I suppose. So yeah. I've always loved yeah. singing and, and managed to earn money. I always liked science and I did really well in it. So do what you really love and even if you have to change professions and multiple times then yeah it's it's just um sometimes you're always going to have your bad days nothing is you know success is never a straight line from from zero to hero it always goes all the way around but as long as you love what you do you actually you can focus better and keep going if you if you don't if you stop loving what you're doing it's time to have a holiday or it's time to think about something else so yeah, for me, um, even though I don't like going out in the, the snow in wintertime and feeding my horses, um, <laughs> I still, yeah, it's, it, it's the, the key. Love what you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just sounds fantastic. Okay, now we were talking about quirky facts and you've told me a couple. So that means I think you said you um, had three. Is there one more that you want to share? <laughs> uh, yes, there's one more. Um even though I was doing lots of surgery and, and working with, you know, um, body organs and stuff like that, I cannot stand handling raw meat. It's oh, like, really? but you do, you're in blood and guts all the time. Yes. And it's like, no, I don't, <laughs> I really, I sometimes put my rubber gloves that I do the dishes with to, to, to work with raw meat. To just touch a piece I hate of steak or chicken. Oh, isn't that raw. weird? Raw. I can do I, it. I thought I can do it when it's cooked. No, I know, but, but when you but not raw. But when you're doing surgery, it is raw. Like I mean, it is you know, like <laughs> I guess in the end. So that's amazing that you that you obviously clearly in your head have gone. What I do here is not the same as cooking a steak or making a you know something with chicken. That's amazing. So, are you vegetarian? 
No, because I can do it. I think the distinguishing thing is I've always got gloves or or double gloves on when I'm doing the microsurgery. So it's I don't actually right. feel um, through the gloves. Uh, the, yep, yep. I can I could feel the the pressure of things, but I don't directly feel. And I think once you take the gloves away. Yeah. Once you take the gloves away, it's like, ew, <laughs> it's like slimy fish. It's like, this is horrible. Oh, so I'm not so a vegetarian. <laughs> right. Okay, last question, and this is just a bit of fun and nothing to do with anything really, but do you use your phone for business at all? And if so, have you got a couple of apps that you want to share? Uh, not I'm really. not really um, an app person. Because I, I work outside with clients, yeah. but I do take lots of photos. So I like a, a phone that has a good camera and yeah. um, also voice recorder and calendar are the main kind of things I use on my phone. Um, yeah. And and then you said, you know, a fun app that I, that I do in my pastime is my horses. So my horses are my best app in the world. <laughs> and, yes, they are. Um, they yeah. are. So even though I've got a phone with me and I, I love technology because it's innovative as well, um, I'm, yes. I don't, don't have a lot of time to spend on it simply because I'm managing a farm, I'm managing a business and I'm managing, you know, everything in between plus an elderly and elderly mother. So my biggest, my best relax and fun is having fun with my horses. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone wants to contact you because they want to do some teamwork, I mean, you really have kind of clarified in my mind how important the horses are as role models. So um, what's the best way for people to be able to contact you, Karen? Um, By email. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, I actually am am on um, Insta, but I, I'm not not very active on on the the social media. So I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find yeah. me on LinkedIn either under Karen Austin Reed or the Metania Effect. You can email me now. This is a bit of a mouthful, and one of my yeah, decisions don't, lately don't is with that. No, Metania. No, don't bother with that. We'll just send people yep. to your website and they can contact you from there because I sort of a couple yep. of people have, have said email addresses and I just don't think anyone, if they're listening in the car or jogging or whatever, would no. write it down. So that's my no. theory. So Matania effect, they spell that for me just so that because I've always called okay, it the Matania so, effect, so I've been getting it wrong anyway. <laughs> yeah, so Matania is spelled M-A, oh, I've got to think about it now, M-A-T-A-N-Y-A. Matanya, okay, as in M-A-T, Anya yep. is A-N-Y-A. So Matt and Anya together is is the name. .com.au finds me. And, Fantastic. Um, yeah, because even my surname is, is complicated. I wanted to marry a Smith, Brown or Jones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, I was very happy when I married a Brooke because no one could ever say my surname either. But, listen, thank you so much for a great interview. It's fantastic to hear your story um, and I really appreciate you, you spending the time and, and sharing it with me. Sorry, I jumped around a bit, but, you know, that's what happens when you're this old and you've done tons of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's great. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sthebos.com.au.